What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, I am presenting you with my most ambitious project yet. And this is a deep dive into the first four terror records. And it's kind of in a different format than I've done previously. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. And I hope that it represents the band well in like their first four LP era. Uh, part two will be coming uh, in the future. Um, I will do it soon and it will come out when it comes out. Um, and I hope you guys all enjoy it. Please send any feedback to 185 miles south at gmail.com. Please support the podcast by giving it a like, a rating, or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to pods. You can also go to 185milesouth.com and listen to them all there. Um, also, if you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185milesouth and become a monthly Patreon. Um, we're doing lots of extra podcasts on there. So if one a week isn't enough, you throw down a dollar a month and uh, get behind that paywall and listen to some more 185 miles south. Um, that is all. Let's get on with the pod. This is Terror Part 1. One hundred eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. Uh, this is Scott Vogel, the wonderful frontman of Terror. Checking out California and trying to trying to make a, a final plan on where to live and stuff. Um, stayed with Mandel, who who Dave Mandel from Indecision, and uh, Larry was his roommate at the time. And I think Larry just when I was leaving was like, I, I made you this like you know dub cassette of these two new bands that I think you're going to really like, and I had a. Uh, I had I had seen no warning because I remember um, before they had uh, maybe they had a demo, but before the seven inch came out because Buffalo's so close to Toronto and I knew Jordan, I knew Ben, and I had seen their band um, as we once were. I think that's what it's called. That's a so. band, I believe so. Okay, so I had seen them and know them, and I saw no warning, and I remember that they covered a Chromag song, and I thought they were cool. And I knew nothing. I, I want to say I didn't even know the name Carry On. Like, I knew nothing about Carry On. And uh, he gave me the tape, and it just... And th this is a time when, like, uh, like Throwdown, 18 Visions, American Nightmare, that's, like, the, the things that are really popping off. And uh, he gave me this tape, and I was, you know, I, I, let's call it more traditional hardcore, and I was really excited. <laughs> Excuse me. So then... um. Yeah, so I get this tape. I have I have no idea what's going to become of it, and it, which is funny now with Jordan being in uh, terror. It's even more of a right. the, the part of the story. Um, so I have no idea, but uh, just I was working a telemarketing. It was crazy. I was working a telemarketing job, and I was this particular job. I was so good at it. I was making so much money. I actually ended up when I when I decided to move to LA. I was 
I would say it was literally like 80 people. It was this big telemarketing thing. And there was a, like a, a contest with one winner to, to win a cruise, a Caribbean cruise. Uh-huh. And I was winning it and I stayed at the job and won the cruise, took the cruise to the Caribbean, came back from it and quit the next day and was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? And so, I mean, they got the hint that I just stayed there to win the cruise and left. So I guess I skipped something. I get, I get home one day and on the, uh, answering machine, if anyone knows what that is, <laughs> there's a, there's a message that's like John LaCroix from 10 yard fight from Boston, who, who I know from Boston. And I don't know that well, you know, I, I know him on a, Hey, what's up basis and stuff like that. And it's just like, Hey, uh, I heard you're moving to California and I'm starting this new band. It's me and the two dudes from carry on. Cause they just broke up and, uh, yeah, we, we want you to sing. And I was like, Oh God, that carry on record is so good. It was, it was a lifeless flag, which is right. so fucking good. And I was just like, no, I mean, I was probably like, yes, no, yes, no. Right. And of course I couldn't, the, uh, hardcore in me could not say, I didn't at least want to check out the situation. This is Todd Jones and I played guitar in terror. In, in the later half of 2001, John LaCroix had his own website and he had an advertisement on it saying that he was starting a band with Scott from Buried Alive. And um, I, I believe I remember seeing that towards the end of November and I knew Carry On was coming to an end and they were looking for a drummer. So I hit up John and I was like, hey man, I got a, I got a real, real good drummer, but uh, you know, I want to be part of this too. What do you say? And um, so John was cool with that. He hit up Scott. Scott gave me a call, like a 10 or a 15 minute call just to say what's up and kind of talk to me for the first time. We chatted. Um, I actually met Scott um, at a Buried Alive show in um, Oxnard at Laser Star, which, which Zach actually put on, which you put on. Um, he was sitting at a table eating a burrito, and I just went right up to him, and I just started talking to him. I didn't really have any... Um, reservations about talking to like you know hardcore musicians or anything i was just i just kind of you know was so enthralled in it all that i just would go up to people and talk to them i didn't really give a shit um but i chatted with him there first but um so yeah he came out from arizona to rehearse and that was in it's probably like the first week of january so that's that's how we got set up with scott and and uh started terror I'm Nick Jett, and I play drums in Terror. So Todd was, like, talking to, to John LaCroix. And I, I I, just remember, like, getting a call from Todd. He was like, he's like, would you be into, like, do you want to start? I'm, like, talking to these dudes, like, would you be down to play drums for this band? And uh, um, he's like, he already had the band, like, figured out. He's like, John, John's on guitar. Um, uh, Matt's going to play bass. And then, like... And there's uh, a dude from Buried Alive is like moving to LA and he wants to start a band. So he's going to like sing or whatever. So it was like Todd, like I remember just remember Todd calling me and like kind of telling me and it already felt like the band was like already formed. He was like, he's like, if you're down, like you're on drums, this is this, like everybody's, you know, doing this part in the band kind of thing. And I was like, dude, I'm down. Yeah. Sounds good. And he's like, well, if we do this band, it's going to be like, 
serious like we want to like kind of tour like and just kind of like just go for it so right away it was like kind of like this thing it was like if we do this like we're gonna fucking go full on with it i remember like the first the first time we jammed it was just me todd and and john and we like we played songs i remember we played songs that john had like wrote and i I just remember like i can't like might have done like one or two practices but i kind of remember leaving the experience like like todd was like not super into like the stuff that john was writing um but we're kind of just kind of still rolling with it but i think like by the time we met up with Scott for the first time, something happened where like John wasn't showing up anymore or like he didn't show up when Scott showed up or something like that. So the first time okay. the first time like we got together with like with Scott, it was just it was only me, Todd and Scott. So it was almost like this other almost like another band kind of thing cuz at that point I think Todd had like already kind of been like like riffing out and kind of writing some stuff on his own. So yeah. So we had like a practice, kind of like a, a hangout kind of jam session with Scott the first time we met him. And this was like literally like the first time I met Scott. Like I had never, you know, he, he hadn't like, I'd never met him in person. I'd never talked to him on the phone or anything. And I want to say Scott or Todd probably even had like very limited contact with Scott at the time. So like we didn't really know him at all. So it was definitely like kind of a strange experience. It was like you're just like meeting this kind of dude um, out of, you know, just like with very limited like like a, you didn't really have a relationship like normally you're starting bands with like your your boys you know like your best friends you know kind of right. thing so this was kind of like a kind of a unique a unique introduction like okay this is this dude we're like gonna start a band with but and and he's also like a little bit older than us too so it was like it was kind of like this kind of older like felt like he was kind of like a a veteran of the scene and we're kind of like these younger kids, which I guess we were, I was like still 18, maybe 19. Yeah. I just remember like Scott showed up, Todd wasn't there yet. And at this point we were like at my parents' house and and my parents let me build out this kind of like kind of recording studio practice room kind of thing in our garage. But, uh, I remember Scott was just, it was just me and Scott and, he was like right almost right away scott asked me to like play the drums he's like he's like can you can you like (laughs) go in there and like i just want to like listen to you play the drums and i was like okay and i was like just went into the room and like i don't remember what i played but i just played all by myself and he was like he's like all right awesome like you hit you hit really hard that's that was like the one thing i was worried about but which is funny because like it's so like Scott's personality. I I could see him doing something like that now, even you know, right away. That was like his first little test. Like, all right, I could like maybe start a band with these guys, kind of thing. I think I rented a car because I, I had like this shitty beat up Honda, and I, I don't know if it would have made it the six hour drive. So we we make a uh, plan 
for us to all meet up and jam or meet or whatever we're going to do. And so I drive by myself from, from Phoenix to, to Nick's house, which is Granada Hills at the time. And, uh, <clears throat> we, uh, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're talking now 19 years ago, but, uh, from what I remember, I just showed up and rang his doorbell and, and, uh, just to get it out of the way, I think I went there twice. I think I went there once and I committed to the band and I went there twice and both times LaCroix didn't show up. So we were just like, this is a bad sign. He's, he's got to go. So many thanks for him and many non thanks to him for starting terror because it's done beautiful and terrible things to me, <laughs> but he, de- he deserves that. But, um, I don't know if he's happy or sad. He didn't show up. Maybe a little bit of both, but, um, so you meet, you meet, Todd and, show you meet Todd and Nick though. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, the biggest thing in my head, like I, I could tell that Todd could write songs. It, it's just undoubtable from the carry on record. Sure. But you, you never know with a drummer what they're going to be like in a live setting. And, and to me, if you are in a hardcore band and your drummer does not play fast and play hit hard, then you're never going, you know, this is just generalizing. You're never going to really be that dope. So I think the first thing I remember is just like, please, please let this drummer hit hard. Please let him play fast. And, um, uh, I don't know this how it really went down, but in my head, I walked in and they were fucking already jamming. And I looked at them, and my ears lit up, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I mean, Todd's incredible, and Nick is just a beast on the drums. And they're, you know, Nick had a shaved head. I, uh, I'm just making all this up, but Todd has a floor punch shirt on, and Nick has a striking distance shirt on and they just I'm just like okay this is fucking cool and I think we maybe were there for an hour or two and I think uh, we went out to a strip club and um, just to like get to know each other and talk and hang out and uh, I really am not like a strip club dude like uh, at all but um, it at least broke the ice to me that these dudes weren't like ultra uptight or you know like sure. I, I don't know you know Sure. Um, so we went there and I, I mean, it's hard to remember, but I want to say in my head, I said, let's fucking do this. And they said, hell yeah. I don't, I don't know if I said, let me go home and think about it. I don't know if I said, I got to come back and do this one more time. I don't know. But, uh, I just know eventually whether instantly or eventually I agreed, moved to LA. Uh, Todd was really cool and got me like a job at, countrywide home loans, which I feel like he was doing something at the time for maybe like computer techie stuff. Yeah. And I, and I think he, you know, I told him I had this telemarketing experience and they had definitely like cold calling, like do home loan shit. So he got me a job doing that. But I mean, it feels like I moved, we wrote songs and within a few months we're playing our first show. And, and once that hit, it literally never ever fucking stopped or slowed down i remember writing um another face um prior to the first terror practice nick and i got together and we kind of wrote a song that we thought would be cool for the band 
and you know it it was like faster stuff but it was also a little bit more metallic probably leaning towards more like buried alive type of stuff and we sent that to, to scott and scott said hey you know this is cool but you know i'd really like to try to do more like faster stuff less of the metallic hardcore stuff and just straight fast hardcore and um you know that was that was great hearing that because that was like right up my right up my alley that's exactly what i wanted to do um so he came out from arizona and I remember the first song we wrote and I know Scott says on stage that life and death was the first song that Tara wrote and maybe with lyrics and music completed, maybe it was the first completed song, but musically I remember the first song we worked on was the tune another face. And you know, if you listen to that song, it's, it sounds like the first song a band would have wrote, not in the essence of its simplicity, but more like, you know, Hey, we have this vision of what we want to sound like. Um, you know, it's kind of easy to see the influences in that song. Um, but I remember writing that song and, um, unfortunately John couldn't make it. Uh, Scott came out from Arizona, um, another time within a couple weeks after that, maybe even the next weekend. And we kept on working on stuff. And, um, that's when we kind of decided that, you know, we were just going to kind of continue on without John. He wasn't really able to make the, the, first couple rehearsals we had so um but but yeah that's what i remember about that we should talk about getting the first the first bass player though because it is your first lineup so you get matt smith how did you get him i think he was living with todd at the time i believe and todd just brought him in you know he 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 probably told me the bands he was in and i was like oh that sounds cool all the writing stuff it was kind of just me me todd and scott um just jamming at at my parents house like i think that was like for that first year, it was just kind of like, like we would just get together and write the stuff together. Um, um, it was like Nick's garage converted into a studio, which was a dream come true for being able to practice there. I mean, that just really shows you how cool Nick's parents, you know, at the time were to let bands not only practice there, but record there and, you know, go out, go in the house and 50 dudes using their bathroom. There's always dudes there. Like we're going to practice some bands leaving recording. We get done another bands coming. It was just right. always dudes coming in and out of that, like the back fence. And, um, that, it, I mean, it was a perfect set. I mean, I was never used to anything like that to have a, a free place to practice in Buffalo. We'd always, there was like rehearsal spaces where like my old bands and I guess a hope would share it and stuff like that. Or jamming in someone's basement, which was a pain in the ass. Cause you had to carry everything down and carry everything up. This was like pretty easy. Just like, I wouldn't bring anything. Nick's drums were set up. The guitarist and bass would probably just bring their heads and plug into an amp that was there and just jam. And uh, it was great. And also you could, I mean, I don't know if we were this serious at the time, but if you wrote something, you could just hit record and just get it down really quickly just so you don't forget it. And it was a perfect setup. And in the scheme of LA, I moved to North Hollywood he lived in Granada Hills. So, I mean, with traffic, sometimes it would take me like a half hour, but on a good day, 15 minutes, which is really, really amazing for LA, you know? So the demo, one vivid memory I have in regards to recording the demo was when Nick and I were driving down the 405 freeway to the 101 from his house. I think we were probably going to visit Scott or maybe we we're just going to like a show at the Cobalt Cafe or something like that. But I remember we were listening to rough cuts of the demos mixes and um, we listened to the tune life and death over and over and over again. That was, 
we liked all the batch. We liked all the all the songs in that batch. You know that that demo batch of songs, the four songs. But um, I think the one that that Nick and I connected to, like right off the bat, was Life and Death. Um, we were just fired up on the energy of that song, and we just we were like, yeah, we need to you know make more stuff like this. This is great. This is perfect. Um, one other memory I have of the demo is is when Scott went to go sing. He instead of standing um, up until that point, anytime I've seen a vocalist sing in a hardcore band or any type of band doing vocals, you know, they'd always be standing, maybe even clutching um, the headphones with their hands. Um, this is the first time I saw someone actually like do vocals, like sit it down. Um, he wasn't actually seated, but he was like, uh, I guess on his knees. And I guess what that does is it makes it, um, it does something to your stomach muscles where I don't, I, I don't really know exactly what it does, but it, it can help you if that's something that does help you. And, um, I thought that was cool. Um, otherwise I don't really remember recording it a whole lot. Um, we recorded it at Nick's studio that he had built in his house. So it's possible that maybe Scott did vocals when I wasn't around. Maybe I, I had a night job at that time. I was working on graveyard shift. Um, but I, oddly enough, I don't really have a lot of memories about that recording specifically. Um, in regards to hearing it played back, uh, I can't really remember, but I, I could say I was, I was pretty fired up to be like a 19 year old guy in a band with, um, somebody who I previously before knowing thought was one of the best hardcore vocalist front men I've ever seen. Um, I was a huge fan of buried alive. Um, you can indecision records put out a DVD sampler years back. The first one they put out and there's buried alive footage of them playing the showcase theater. And you could clearly see me singing along. Um, yeah, I would, I was just psyched to, uh, I felt like I was doing it and I was just happy about that. When you get this demo done, does it sound how the band sounded live and did it sound how it sounded like in your head? I don't know. Cause I, you know, when you're, when you're just jamming with amps really loud and when you're, when you're the vocalist, you, you have the vocals, but they're not really up and you don't really know what they sound like. So, I mean, the energy of the practicing or writing was always there. The intensity was there, but I don't think I ever really knew what it was going to sound like with my voice until it was the demo. And I heard it for the first time. One, one thing I want to say, which was bizarre to me and crazy to me. I remember when Nick did the drums, he, uh, was in the control room by himself or not by himself with us, like a little tiny little hallway. And he pressed play and he stood up. He walked into the, sound room, I guess, of where, where the instruments were, uh-huh. sat down, no scratch track, no nothing, no bass, no guitar, just fucking ripped the drums, stood up, walked back, pressed stop, <laughs> listened back. So it was crazy. Yeah. So he could have basically just done it by himself with no one there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when I heard the demo, I was like really, really psyched. I mean, I probably in my head, sold it a little bit shorter. Like, I mean, the demo is just like seven minutes of just really good, intense in your face, balls out, hardcore. Uh, the vocals sound good. The lyrics are pissed off. It's just really good. And I'm sure I had, you know, I mean, hardcore kids are pretty judgmental. So when you're starting a new band, especially when it's X this X that, 
you can get some people that really want to find a way to cut you down and not, not, not really judge it for what it is, but judge it for a million other things. So I think anyone that, and, and just as a, any person, you, you put out some, I dare to say art, which I use that term lightly, but you put some of that out, some music, whatever you do, you put it out there and it's just, there's a little scared that, you know, people are going to to rip you apart. And um, so I think I probably downplayed it a little bit, but I think I knew that we were onto something really good. I think at that point, like me, like me, me and Todd had definitely gotten been playing so much together that we got super, super tight. Just think of Nick being squeezed in a Vogel Jones sandwich, having to deal with that fucking insanity. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I think like, I guess, I guess you could probably relate to this. Like when you're recording to like tape, like the kind of pre pro tool stuff, like you kind of like mm-hmm. it's, the shit doesn't lie really. So like, whatever you perform that's like kind of like what comes out on the recording i mean i don't even think it's really like like a proper mix on it it's almost just like turn everything up so everything's the same level kind of thing and so i think that just kind of like probably sounded exactly what we sounded like just like in a room kind of thing there's one other thing I want to mention about the demo and i'm pretty sure matt smith came up with the cover art that was that was like another thing that was like really abrasive and to slap that eagle on a shirt with the word terror. And, you know, you can just, um, it just has an energy to it and it just kind of grabs your attention. Like what the fuck is this? And I remember event just skipping forward a little bit, but we played a uh, hell fest in Syracuse, maybe Oh three or 0, I'd say Oh three probably. And, uh, I just remember walking around there and there was that shirt was everywhere. And so many people in bands were wearing it. And it was just like, maybe that was the first time I, and now we're on the East coast for the first time. And I was just like, holy shit, this is like, people are really into this. I think two things that terror had to give us that push a, like I said, the scene was going maybe in a little bit different direction and we just came along and I don't want to say there was no one else doing it because obviously I just mentioned ter- uh, no warning really influenced me and carry on was doing it a few months right before we were. And, and, you know, I mentioned striking. So there were these bands, but I think a big thing was, okay, here's Scott from the East coast. I know, you know, all sorts of people from different scenes, whether it's Throwdown to stigmata to 18 vision to reach the sky to all. I, I know all, to champion to all these different people. And then there's Todd, who knows a lot of the same people, but also a totally different side of people. And uh, you have the East Coast and the West Coast, Buried Alive, Carry On, different and fused into this thing. And I think I think there was just a lot of people that wanted to back us, which is really cool. Do you feel that Terror gets enough credit for kind of merging together a lot of those scenes? Like like maybe bringing in some of what you called like the scene bands and then also like kind of merging like the, the tougher scene with like the more like youth crewy throwback scene. I definitely don't think people talk about it. Um, I don't think people really have that insight or, or have that knowledge from that time period, but the people that do such as me and you and maybe folks a little bit younger than us and definitely in folks a little bit older than us, um, you know, they know that, 
you know, bands such as like In Control and Carry On didn't really play with bands such as Throwdown and Adamantium and stuff like that. It was much more segregated in terms of, you know, I don't know if that was like a, a social thing or if that was a music thing, but in my mind back then I thought it was a music thing where, you know, it was just like, you know, the, those bands are the heavy bands and our bands are the, are the fast bands. So we, our bands would be playing all together and it, it just, it just never really mixed. And, um, and, and the band that is responsible for mix, for mixing those 100% is terror. And so I would say, yeah, you know, I don't think they do really get the credit of that. I think that things were really different, um, you know, in the early two thousands and the late nineties in regards to, it seemed like a lot of modern bands of that time were either particularly not interested or, or definitely on purpose on just purpose. didn't want to be part of, um, these hardcore bands that were coming up that were kind of influences influenced by stuff in the eighties. Um, I remember kind of like a lot of older folks, um, in that time, kind of snubbing their nose at, 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 at bands such as like uh, Floor Punch and Youth of the Day and shit like that. They were more interested in what was going on currently, which, you know, that's a kind of a good attitude to have. But also when I was younger, I, I just didn't get it. And I kind of wish that, you know, I kind of wish that all the bands would kind of play together that considers themselves hardcore, but it didn't really work like that. And we, we would like uh, do like our first tour that I can remember uh, actual U.S. tour was like striking distance death threat and over my dead body. So that's obviously very straight up hardcore. Then uh, after that, you know, we're out with Blood for Blood took us on tour. So that's, you know, a little bit meaner. And then after that, we're out with 18 Visions and Throwdown. So we're, we're playing with those. And I think the only way that happens is if you as a person are open-minded enough to do it and not paint yourself into a box where you're, I'm only playing with this type of band. I only want to play to this type of kid. And on the flip side, you have built relations with people in all these bands that they respect you enough where 18 vision is going to be like, okay, Terra sounds nothing like us, but the, the, the singers, our friend, we stayed at his house. Uh, he broke his hand moshing to us, which is <laughs> something that happened. So, you know, we're going to take them out on tour. They're a new band. They, they need the support. They need the exposure. So I think that was really a huge thing for us to be open-minded and not box ourselves in and to have to made, have made those connections. What do you remember about the first show? I don't know. I, 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 like, I would say like, I just like, for some reason, I probably just like lump like every Pat's Warehouse show together in my memory at this point. Like, I don't know how many shows I went to, went there to see, but like maybe 10 or something like that. So I, I don't know if like Tara played there again. So I just, it's, it's kind of hard to remember like the first Tara show. I mean, I know like, you know, what we played, like we played the demo and we played, um, um, that song, push it away, which we had like written, but we hadn't recorded yet. Um, yeah, and we played that song. I don't need your help, um, which was yep. written but not recorded yet. And then we played two breakdown covers. I remember it was really packed, and I remember uh, I remember I specifically on purpose wore the 100 Demons hoodie where they print they side printed 
yeah. like that little demon on the side because yeah. I knew I was going to wear my hood up the whole time to be ultra hardcore. I just remember, I mean, we probably played for 15 minutes. We did two breakdown covers. We did uh, probably five or seven terror songs, the demo songs, and maybe we had a couple more written two breakdown covers and that, and that was it. I remember playing with two full stacks. I remember that. That was a little ridiculous, especially considering the space we were in. I remember um, after the show, Nick and I talking and talking about how it was awesome to play. And even while, you know, Scott was, you know, he kind of gives talks and stuff and he like hypes up the crowd and shit. And and Nick was saying, man, I was getting so fucking hyped up. That was awesome. (laughs) And, um, you know, we, we did a lot of work for that show, preparing our CD and whatnot. And um, it was kind of a blur, but um, it was killer. You know, there was, there were people in the room and we had all our friends there and stuff and they were going off and uh, it was, it was an awesome show. And then you're just playing a lot right off the gate. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was all pretty quick. I mean, um, Todd and Scott just had so many like kind of connections and kind of like people that they knew so it was like right away, it was like, oh, can you guys like, oh, can we get on these shows or like, like we, I remember like almost right away, like this within our first 10 shows or something, we did like a four or five shows with uh, American Nightmare when they were in mm-hmm. uh, doing like a full US where like we jumped on like part of their tour and that was like Striking Distance, Death Threat, American Nightmare. Um... Yeah, so it was just like all these things like, oh, you know, we got these few, like Scott hooked up like these few shows with the, these bands and Todd's like, oh, well, I talked to, you know, these dudes, they're going to, you know, we're going to jump on these few shows of this tour. Um, and I think right away, too, there was um, uh, uh, that dude, Matt Pike, the book booking guy from Massachusetts. He, yep. I think Scott... I think Scott was the main connection to Matt, but right away he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to book you guys. So I think with that, like it was like even more shows. It was just kind of like, all right, like all these, you know, I mean, it was like really quick right away. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Matt Pike, American hero. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he, he did so much for so many. Yeah. People. I mean, he booked, I, I guess he would have been booking. I think he booked carry on or, at least like was maybe booking that East coast tour that we did. So, I mean, so I I guess Todd would have had a connection with him also. And I think Scott knew him. So it was, yeah. So yeah, he, I mean, right away he was like, he's like, you know, I want to help you guys out and kind of started booking, booking stuff for us. The first string of dates we did was three shows with American nightmare, death threat and striking distance. Um, that was sometime in May. Um, but the real memories come from the next tour we did, which I believe started sometime in June. Uh, we started that tour with Death Threat in Arizona, and they dropped off in the Northeast. And then we kind of went on our own um, all the way to California. And then once we got to California, we went to Se- up to Seattle, and that concluded that tour. Um, I I have a lot of memories. It was the first time I ever went to a lot of places, um, such as uh, um, Texas and all around that whole South area up until like, you know, Richmond was the farthest or Virginia beach was the farthest I have ever been South up until that point. Um, so I went to, it was a lot of places I went to for the first time. Um, 
I remember specifically being really, I guess, I guess it was an eye-opening experience in regards to how big that hardcore became to me. Um, previously before that I'd never toured and I didn't really travel outside of Southern California much. So going to all these places and seeing how many, you know, people were involved in hardcore across how many different cities and different States I went to, it was, it was just kind of like an eye opening experience kind of showing you that, you know, hardcore is much, 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 much bigger than what's inside your particular bubble in your particular friend group and the, and your particular band you listen to and whatever it is that you only you consider hardcore. It was much more bigger than that. I mean, I was, we were playing festivals such as furnace fest, which wasn't a straight up hardcore festival. It was like a mix of that. And you know, I guess what you would call those scene bands and, um, the metalcore bands and whatnot. And, um, that was probably the most eye opening experience. Um, the eye opening thing on that tour that, that I could remember experiencing. We played like a festival in Montreal and we we're selling the demos and we sold out of them. And then we pulled out a laptop and we were like burning them without covers, just selling them probably for a dollar. Just, you know, not, not we're, we weren't doing this cause we wanted to make more money or anything. We're doing it because people want our demo and we don't have any more. So point of this is we were in Montreal on the demo with the only thing for sale. So, I, I mean, I guess we did go all over the U.S. and Canada on the demo. Um, you go out to Cleveland and you record at Mars with uh, the same dude that had engineered, like, the Integrity Records and the Ringworm Records. We were, like, huge Clevo fans at the time. I mean, we, we still are for sure, you know. But at the time, it was yeah. kind of like, we. I mean, we loved, like, all the stuff that he did, you know, from Ringworm to integrity a one life crew like all the stuff that came out of there all the integrity stuff the the one life crew record um the fucking ringworm stuff all sounds destructively beautiful and uh i think we said let's find a studio let's go to mars everything that comes out of there sounds amazing and uh, i think we should acknowledge at this point uh the lineup is we passed over um, Beeve being in the band. Yeah, he was in the band for maybe a tour. That dude, Paul from Seattle, he was, I don't know if he's ever in the band, but played some shows with us. But at this point, lowest of the low, we've got Rich Thurston from um, Culture in the band and Todd, me, Nick, and Big Doug's in the band. Yeah, that's a powerhouse so, lineup. Now you guys are looking mean. Yeah, those two motherfuckers are big as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember when we played that Hellfest. That was a lineup, too, that I was talking about with the T-shirts. At the time, we were operating like we had a, a chip on our shoulder in regards to what was popular and hardcore. We didn't like it. We didn't think it was cool. There was this whole thing that um, some bands and some people were centered around called Fashion Core. And it was like, you know, they're sort of, they put a magnifying scope on, on how you dressed. And to us, that was kind of weird and we just didn't like that hardcore was going in that direction so we kind of operated um with a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of um the the kind of will like uh, where you're gonna like push something onto somebody no matter what um so we wanted to write really direct really fast really hard songs um the decision to record at mars was 
pretty much made based on the fact that we we really liked Integrity and Ringworm and all the bands out of Cleveland, um, the spirit, and also the production values on those records too, we thought were killer. And for me, um, just being like kind of like a musician guy, I've always kind of wanted to use um, my band as a vehicle to kind of take me to all these cool studios that all these cool bands that recorded at that I liked. So um, I think maybe Scott or myself suggested Mars, and I think I really pushed, or maybe he really pushed to actually get it done. But um, that's kind of, that's definitely why we went there. Yeah, and. Um, and as far as actually writing the record, um, I, I can't remember like um, specifically writing a lot of the songs. Um, you know, we were just trying to go f- for something that we thought was modern and something that was hardcore. And we really like bands like Death Threat. Of course, we like Madball. You know, we, we love Scott and I and Nick. We love the Revelation Records catalog. Um, you know, just kind of stuff like that. But we weren't focused on writing music that was like a um you know a um a tribute to the old bands we were looking to kind of like just make raging fast hardcore through the lens of those types of bands and that kind of feeling i think we recorded everything in like five days or something like that i think it cost like fourteen hundred dollars to record the whole record i want to say we even mixed it in that time like recorded mixed in five days like here's your here's your like final mix, like leaving after yeah. five days kind of thing. Things I remember from Lois Below are, uh, I think we stayed at a hotel down the road. Um, it, it wasn't in Cleveland. It was kind of out, out in the outskirts. Uh, we got human furnace to do that guest spot on the song Lois Below. Him and Frank came to the studio and I, I think they both had like crazy cowboy hats on and brought a case of beer and which I was, happy to help them get rid of and uh upon recording the record we had to go back into canada to go to go retrieve nick's double bass kick pedal that he left at a show that we played up there prior to recording the record um so we had the disc we got a rental car and we jammed up there it was about a three-hour drive and we and we played low to the low back to back i think the whole way there i remember I, I just, you know, Nick was driving, Scott was sitting shotgun, I was in the back seat, and I remember Scott saying after after the disc completed, he's like, well, let's play it again. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we just we just played it, and, you know, when you're in a band and, and you complete a record and you and your bandmates are hyped up on it and you guys are excited about it, there's the, there's the question like, you know, well, I like it and, you know, my bandmates like it and maybe I've played it for my friends and they like it, but we, we had no idea if anybody else was going to like it, but we, we definitely knew we were onto something. We, we felt real good about it. Yeah. There's nothing more pure, I think, than like loving your own record and listening to it a million times, you know, like if, if you don't sign off on it, like why should anyone else? Like you think you're not going to like your record, but some other people might. (laughs) Dude, that's exactly what I, yeah, I I 100% agree. And that's what I think about like uh, writing songs too. Like if you're, if you're writing a tune, you know, you're writing it, you know, if it's not going to make you mosh, why would it make anybody else mosh? Yeah. And there has to be a purpose, right? Like I'm writing these songs because they don't exist yet and they need to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a way, that's certainly a way to look at it. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to make music that I don't like in the end. It's like what's the point? I do remember 
we went to Syracuse. So we, we did, we did, uh, go to Syracuse to play a show right after that. And I remember just listening to it. I, th- I think he, he, uh, gave us a cassette cause maybe it was a C, I don't know. We, we could listen to it in the van. I just remember like when you, when you put on play and, Oh, it's better off without you. It's the first song. I was thinking low to low is the first song. And it just comes in with that done and the scream. And it's like, yeah. that record is from start to finish, which is nine songs and probably times two. So it's probably like 18 minutes. It's just really good in your face, hardcore with lyrics that are mean, but also done in a way where memorable and there's some really good hooks in it. And, Todd's writing is perfect and Nick's drumming is just insane. It's just from st- from song one to nine, he just doesn't let up. The, the whole record just doesn't let up. I think we were like super happy with the way it sounded. There was like different stuff we were trying, which w- I remember being a little like nervous about it. Like there's two songs on that record that have double kick and I remember that being like a weird thing. It was like, uh, like we're gonna have like double bass drum on this record. Like, are people gonna be like, this shit is whack as fuck? Like, that was definitely like a weird, a weird thing. So it was like, yeah, there was like some some songs that were like, you know, kind of like, I guess we're just trying some stuff, and you know, hopefully it all kind of meshes together and, and works. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we were like really excited about it and then we just like listened to it a lot. I remember just like, just jamming it, like, you know, just like the rough mix, whatever, whatever mix we had, like just jamming it in the van. Cause I think we were on tour when we did that. Like we kind of just booked it into the middle of like a tour kind of thing. We were so excited just to have like a solid, like record i mean it was really like our first record we had been like touring like non-stop on like our demo like a cd you know like a cd-rom demo and like a two-song seven inch i think we were just like so excited to like just have like you know a full record like bridge nine is putting this out so a lot of people are gonna like hear it we were in deep debate between uh indecision and bridge nine and both of them seem like the right choice and i think in the end we just figured we're a west coast band we need more support on the east coast so let's go with bridge nine i think that's what it came down to it was kind of like we were excited to have something that we could just like now we can go on tour and have an actual like record like before that it was like on our merch table it was like a cd-rom demo and like two t-shirt designs like now we have like you know like an actual record like this is like psyched that we like had like something to like kind of show for what we had been doing for the year and just kind of excited to take that record and just like even go even harder touring wise and just like play everywhere people ask me like what's your favorite terror record i like i always say low solo um, cause I think like that was like, I guess when you, even when you like listen to it now, it's, it just, it f- like, it's like, for me, it's just like the stamp in time 
where the that's exactly the vibe and like where the bands like started and what we wanted to sound like like we accomplished i feel like we like accomplished kind of what we were going for and i just love that it's like it's so like it's fucking fast as shit and like even now like you put it on it's like it's like blistering fast i'm just like surprised i could even like play a lot of the stuff on there like it was just like so yeah i mean it's definitely like my favorite favorite of all all the terror records i would say we played a lot of shows where people went real 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 crazy and i remember specifically there were people from different cities who would follow us and we would see them in really faraway places um so that's what I really remember in regards to the record getting praised. Um, at the time, I don't necessarily remember press or or getting praised by that stuff. But like, I just I just remember all the shows were were just crazy. And I mean, you know, there's there's fewer feelings in this world that are better than being in, on stage and having people go ape shit for your band. So it, it, every show we played was awesome, and we played lots of shows. And it was, it was great. I don't remember getting any negative feedback. I think everyone was really smacked in the face by it and really into terror and really riding for us and really, uh, you know, it was easy for people to say like, this is what I needed. Hardcore has been a little different lately. I needed this type of hardcore to remind me why I love this. It might have been too, and, and I'm not downplaying No Warning at all because I cite them as a huge influence for me wanting to do this band, and Ill Blood is in my top 20 favorite hardcore albums ever, which for a band from Toronto in 2002, 2003, that's a very crazy fact. Sure. But I, I do feel like some of the things we were saying before as where terror is friendly with everybody you know no warning's got that chip on their shoulder and they're going i know they played with like throwdown and had a beef with them and they had beefs in the hardcore scene so maybe they weren't as open-minded maybe they got asked to do a fucking 18 visions tour and said yeah right and laughed in their face as where terror said hell yeah we'll play to anyone anywhere i think that's maybe a little bit of the difference like we didn't burn any bridges and we were very open-minded as where they just had a fucking chip on their shoulder and we're saying, fuck you to everybody. I feel like this is the time when we really didn't have any bad shows. Even if we're playing the, the, a tiny place, it's 50 kids that show up, but terror is their new favorite band. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I feel like, um, you know, every band and it, it's, it's impo- I, I want to say it's almost impossible to maintain, but when you're that new band with that has that fresh record out that everybody's talking about, you just, you know, you just can feel the vibe. Like when you are setting up your gear, everyone's just staring at you waiting to hit the first note and, and the set's only like 20 minutes. So you just smash through it and it's just pure hardcore from start to finish. Yeah. And you're literally giving them everything you had. Like it's not like right, you're, it's not like you're being a dick trying to do a short set to like leave them wanting more. Like you played every single no. song you have, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's how does that feel for you? Like, so this is like you've been into hardcore now at this point for over 15 years. Um, is it total validation for you? Like, how how does it feel to like 
basically really be winning at this time? Uh, I think there's a, a touch of that, but I, I think too, I have such a, I've got something to prove because every single band I've been in gets to not, not to this point, but a smaller, ver- a, a less intense version of this point, mm-hmm. And this is where we fall apart. And maybe that's why when Todd quit the band, which is, is catastrophic in one way, I just, I wasn't willing to let it go. Like I was just like, this has happened to me before. I'm not letting it happen this time. Well, lowest of the low was released in January and I was pretty much burnt out on touring by April. Um, so man, that's not to say that when we played shows past April that I didn't have a good time cause I did. Um, but, um, to be honest with you, by the time the record was out, which was January, 2003, I, I was probably winding down on, you know, I was at that time I was really, really, really trying to bust my ass and play guitar and write songs for the band. And I was having a good time. But I think, I, I think once terror went to Europe, I was, I was pretty much mentally not really too excited about anything that was going on. And is the first time you go into Europe, is that when you decided to leave the band? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what? it is what do you remember about um like the days building up to your decision like what was your thought process so i remember prior to our european tour in april we did a string of east coast states with ramallah and ringworm um, and we were going to leave our van in boston and then fly to europe and do the european tour on the second to last show of that we played albany and i remember driving the van to boston and thinking just like, you know, right now I have a, I have training and a job that I could go back to and live a comfortable life in an apartment and just kind of do my own thing. Or I could do this band and live pretty uncomfortably touring, which I'm discovering I don't really like. And then in five years it'll break up and, you know, I'll be in a situation where I have to go get training again and go get a new job. And, you know, I don't want to fucking be poor again. Um, that was pretty much my thought process. And also at that time, so we're talking like April, 2003, if somebody have told you that terror was going to be a band for 20 years, I don't think anybody really would have believed that, you know, bands didn't really last too long or it, it was rare that a band there were there in 2003, there was no hardcore band that had lasted 20 years, not a single one. So, you know, I didn't really have that perspective that it was going to last a long time. And furthermore, I just, I just didn't know that touring was something that I would not like so much, you know, touring full time, touring as a, as a full time musician is just not something I really cared to do. We're in, in Europe for the first time with biohazard on a bus. So I had been to Europe a couple of times before with uh despair twice and buried, uh, buried alive once. But literally, we're pl- these these bands are playing a lot of the shows during the week for like forty kids, and then a festival here and there with like two, three hundred, four hundred kids. But it was it was like a whole different world. I mean, you gotta think of Biohazard in Europe. At one point, was huge. Right now, they're they're kind of on their downswing, but still, we're playing our first time in Europe in these clubs on these stages that are with barricades, maybe some of the nights that are like 800 kids. And it's just on a bus 
uh, Evan had Tara Patrick with him or like, like a whole crazy new world. And uh, we're hooked up with MAD, the booking agent over there. And they're like really psyched on us. I'm just making this up in my head, but I'm sure like, Oh, next time we'll bring you back with Madball. Next time we'll bring you back with sick of it all. Like you have the sound that is huge in Europe. We're going to make you, you know, which they followed through on all this. And I'm like on top of the world. This is like everything I ever wanted. And, uh, you know, but we had been touring a lot and I mean, I, I don't know how it went down, but I would assume Todd in his very abrupt to the point way, just getting right to it. No fans or bust was just like, I'm done. I can't, I can't handle this. It's not for me. Uh, I remember he, uh, suggested or wanted to still write and record, which we weren't going to turn that down, you know, like, and and it wasn't like a a bad thing. It it was a a sad thing and like, Oh, what the fuck are we going to do without Todd? But it wasn't like, yo, fuck you. You, it wasn't like we had a fight when this happened or a meltdown. It was just like, this isn't right. Be living this life isn't right for me. And I would think me and Nick were just like, what the fuck are we going to do? We're not, we're not going to let this go. Let's figure it out. So the conversation happens, um, April 26, 2003, which was like one year exactly after we played our first show. And we were at a festival in Europe. Um, I just remember being there and, you know, we had already played our set and I was just like, walking around this festival with absolutely nothing to do and it was raining and it was just fucking miserable and at that point i had pretty much decided i gotta talk to these guys because i i just don't see myself doing this that much longer and um so i told them i said hey guys i want to talk to you and we went up into uh the bus that we were on and i just said hey i you know i've been touring for a little bit and i really just don't want to do it anymore i don't want to do it at a full-time capacity and, um, you know, I'd be willing to like stay in the band and, and write music and, and do that and write records with you guys. But as far as like being a full-time member and we're into touring, I just don't want to do that. And, um, you know, they were bummed out, you know, Scott was, was bummed. I mean, nobody, nobody was like angry at me. Nobody like said anything fucked up, but you know, I could tell that they were like just kind of, um, let down and, um, you know, to my credit, I mean, I was like a 20, 20 to 21 year old person. And, um, I, I, I don't, I, I, nobody can really tell what touring nine months out of the year is like until you actually get out there and do it. I mean, there's some people who are, you know, you can do that. And there's some people who can't or just don't want to. I remember we were, we were in Europe and this is all kind of a whirlwind. I mean, like we were in Europe for the first time like literally a year, like maybe a little over a year after we played our first show. So we're like, we're already in Europe, like we're doing all this touring and we're just like, this is what we want to do. We're like gung-ho, but I think just, yeah, something just like Todd didn't expect like the touring to be so like grueling, I guess. I don't know. I mean, um, so I think he was like, he got burnt out and yeah, he just, I remember he sat us down in Europe um, and was like, I don't want to tour anymore. Like, I'm going to leave the band. 
uh, we're already writing for like the next record, so I, I do want to be a part of the record. And like, it was really just, you know, Todd style, just really, really short and blunt. Like, I'm quitting the band, um, you know, but I do want to write, write with you guys for the next record. And uh, this will be like, you know, I'll do, I'll do whatever tours I need to do until, you know, you guys have like a replacement kind of thing. But yeah, it was just like, we were just like totally caught off guard. Um, I mean, me and Todd were like boys, like super, super close at this point. I think he was even like living with me. He lived, lived at my house like for, um, yeah, a certain, a certain amount of time. I can't remember exactly when, but yeah, he was like, yeah. So it was just like kind of, kind of shocking, but at the same time, it's like maybe not so shocking because maybe that's something that, you know, is Todd style, just like abruptly kind of like just leave the band out of nowhere kind of thing. Yeah, when when he, I, I, I'm 99% sure he brought up, I still want to write and record. We were like, okay, that's great. Then we just got to find someone to, I, I don't, if, I, if I'm guessing correctly, I, I believe he just wanted to write and record forever, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. I don't think he just said one with the underdogs. I, I, I don't know if I was old enough to understand what like a sophomore slump was or, or I didn't really have the, 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 the perspective, the long-term vision of, of thinking, you know, Oh, this is going to be judged as our second album. I, I was just like, I'm pretty sure my perspective then was just like, we have to make another kick-ass record. And, you know, we don't, I don't know. It, 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 we just didn't have a choice whether we were going to do it or not. It was just, we were going to make another kick-ass record and just had to make sure it was a little bit different than the last one. Um, and I think, I think a lot of the, a lot of the pressure came from internal was, is mainly where it came from. Is that just a no brainer? Like we're going to have Todd write the record or are you thinking like, you know, we're going to go on with this band and do it. Should we have him not write? You know, if he's not going to be in the band, was that ever a no? A I think um, I, I think we knew like you know like it worked so well, um, writing everything previously. Like you know, like we wanted to do the record with Todd, and so like I don't even think it was like a question if if we even like talked about it. I think it was just like yeah, let's you know let's do the record. You know, like for sure. Yeah, and so you go in and and doing your, so this is the first time that you're like writing a full LP, like it's not coming out as like piecework. Um, what was the process like? Yeah, like attacking doing a full LP. Um, I think we were just like, we just wrote tons and tons of songs. Um, yeah, I, I think we just we were just like pretty much in between any tours that that we were doing. Um, after we recorded low to low, I think we were just like, I mean, I think during this whole time, like Todd might've been living with me. So it was like me and Todd would just go in the garage and just like jam, you know, probably every day, like when we were not on tour. So I think we were just like writing all this material, like just not really knowing exactly what we wanted to do. We were just like, just writing, just writing, writing, just like pumping out songs um so I, I think we just knew that we needed a lot of material 
and I want to say it was like kind of like a trend at the time to like put a lot of records on a lot of songs on your record. So I I don't know. I feel like we needed like oh we need like fifteen sixteen songs to be on on the LP, and it was like it seems like now that's like definitely not a thing. But I, I kind of remember it you being know. like we need to have this many songs. Like it was kind of like felt like it was a standard thing. Like we gotta you know we gotta put fifteen sixteen songs on the album. I think we're so busy. There's not much time to think. I think we're just like playing and recording constantly. I think there's always a concern in any band that the scene's going to get over you or turn on you. (laughs) Yeah. Forget about you. Someone's going to come along and do it better than you. The scene, a, a new trend comes along and you get swept under the rug, all that stuff. But I think things are going so good and we're going, it's going so fast. I think the only concern is, holy shit, Todd's not in the band anymore. But we have him writing, so he's writing the song. So I don't know. I think I think everything's good. I think maybe a little concern is a lot of member changes. Sure. Um, I think, uh, and the, the recording process was very unsmooth. The, the studio t- thing for one of the underdogs was a, headache to say the least i think one thing that needs to be acknowledged at the time as we signed signed i think we actually did sign a contract to trust Gill okay. to do to do the record so now we leave bridge nine that that may have been actually something like to get open the door for terror hate you go from bridge nine to trust kill which at the time is like the leader of the swoopy hair, some eyeliner, and some tight pants. So, I mean, they had some good bands. I don't think bad, good. They had some more straight-up hardcore bands, but they definitely were the, they were the kings of what I just described. So now we align with them that maybe there is some terror hate. We're touring with Every Time I Die. We're touring with all these people. So there must be some very, very hardcore elite people that are like, these guys that use this as a stepping stone, they want to be the next hate breed. Fuck them. There's got to be some of that, I would think. So what were the problems you ran into in the studio? I think there was some Todd not being in the band, but still writing. I feel like there was probably a little bit of the sense of him. Now, this is me speaking for him. So if I'm correct, if I'm incorrect, then I'm incorrect. But I feel like there was kind of like a touch of tension and maybe stress on all of us and maybe him being like, this was my band. I started. I know that I said, I don't want to be in it, but now I have to hear about all these decisions being made and what's going to be done with my songs and what tours they're going to do. And it's probably just like a little bit of a stressful thing or maybe a loss of control. But he knows he chose to lose that control, but it's still probably hard to be around. Like we're in the studio and me and Nick are like, Oh, we got to ask you this tour. Let's go do this thing. I, I, I just see how somehow that causes a little bit of tension or friction. And there were just some days that like I had meltdowns. Todd had meltdowns. Nick doesn't really have meltdowns. So he gets a free pass on that. And, um, I just remember uh, we got through the recording process. Like we did the music in a really cool sound, 
Sound City Studio, which is like this really famous studio. So we're thinking it's going to be this awesome recording. And we did the vocals at Nick's at Blood Tracks. And we did, we got the first mix and it just, dude, I don't know what happened. It, for what we put into it and as good of players as they were, and my vocals sounded real like one with the underdogs is maybe my favorite vocal performance. It sounded really bad. I don't know if something happened in the studio with the miking or it just sounded really bad. And if you listen to it, it's not that great of a recording. It's the music. It's, it's, it's just weird. And then we had to take it and get it mixed by some random guy that Nick found. And it was just this weird process. And, and, I think the vocals really saved that record. It's a great song. Great songs. But the, 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 the music just doesn't sound like it should sound, but luckily there's a, a strong urgency in the vocals and the mixes is pretty loud. So I think it overshadows, it takes your focus off the music not sounding as good as it should. And I hate the cover art and... If I had one thing, I mean, one of the underdogs is amazing. There, there's songs on there that are still the biggest reaction. There's there's five or six songs in there that we can play anywhere in the world. That it's a really big reaction. I w- if I could go back and do it now, I would cut off. There's probably like there's a lot of songs on there. Maybe fifteen, fifteen, a lot. I think we should have trimmed off a couple of the maybe not so good songs and. and presented it with all the best songs, not, not make it. We have to put every song we wrote on here. I think that's what we did. Like just didn't want to throw any in the garbage. I mean, it was kind of like a little dysfunctional because it was like, all right, Todd's leaving the band. Um, like we got, you know, new guys in the studio for the first time. Like Carl had just joined the band. And I think at this point there was like maybe there was like more like expectations. So it was like the first time where we like maybe felt like a little pressure to like really, really kind of like deliver something, which was kind of weird. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, it, I mean, it was definitely like, I just kind of remember like a lot of it being kind of like a strange experience. Like it wasn't like the first time where we went in the studio where like everybody's just fucking psyched as shit. Like, you know, like, there's no problems, like, it, we were just excited to, like, record, this time it was, like, Todd's leaving the bands, total, you know, like, a bum out, like, you know, like, you know, like, we have kind of, like, some pressure to kind of, like, like, bring a, you know, I don't know, kind of deliver with an album that, you know, we think people might like or dislike, like, I don't know, it was just kind of, like, a, a kind of a weird weird experience but no. i mean some really cool things about it like um we recorded like a majority of the music at sound city studios um in la and this is like okay. a studio where like nirvana recorded nevermind like tom petty did a lot of his albums there like the chili peppers like this was like a huge like famous recording studio and Paul Miner had like done some recording there so he kind of had like an in 
to get the studio for like a cheaper price. So we ended up like tracking all the music um, at that studio there. So we're like in the, in the A room, like in the big room, like, you know, like the drum room was like, you know, it was like the size of like a basketball court. Like it felt like it was like this huge room. Jesus. Like, you know, a million of like the most expensive microphones recorded on the Neve console. Like all these famous records were recorded on. Like it was like this definitely kind of crazy experience. Like there was like a, a weird, like, like all these weird, like lounge rooms, like, definitely built for people to just like do drugs and weird shit like that like you know i I don't know when the studio was built but it definitely became like the place like in the 70s or whatever so i'm sure just like you know this was just like a fucking drug den like weirdo like who knows what was going on um but yeah it was just like this big studio there was like like runners like people like oh do you you guys need any like food or anything? And we'll be like, uh, can you guys go to like Carl's Jr. down the street and get us some like double Western bacon cheese burgers? Like it was like a weird, totally weird experience. Like I remember um, the mix turned out like, like we didn't really like the mix the first time. And we like took them, took the record to get mixed by a total random person. Like, like somebody my mom worked with like mixed the record like something something totally strange and it was the the only reason was because this is like the beginning of pro tools so we would record everything uh-huh. on tape but then it got transferred into pro tools and then we recorded all the, the vocals in pro tools so the whole record was in pro tools mm-hmm. and it was like one of those things that were like like limited people had pro tools rigs so it was kind of like like the first mix we were like unhappy with and it was like uh i think like i think my mom knows this guy that she works with that has pro tools kind of thing so we ended up like taking it to this totally like random dude who mixed who who mixed the record and I want to say, like, he had, he definitely had some experience. Like, he, like, recorded, like, he had recorded Nate Dog or something like that. Something weird. Or, like, like some <laughs> rappers. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was, like, strange. Like, a totally strange thing. So, we recorded Underdogs January of 2004 into February. And I think at that time, I can't remember exactly what it was. But, I mean, I remember a lot of arguing over emails and stuff. I think there was... I think there was just some things that we didn't really see eye to eye on. Um, and it could have been a situation I think where maybe they got like, um, somebody to do, to do guest vocals on a song that I didn't really want on there. Um, and you know, I felt an entitlement that, you know, these were songs that I was heavily involved in on the creative process. So I felt like I should have been involved in that decision. And I think, Nick and Scott also felt the similar, the same way that, you know, these are songs that they're working on, so they should be able to put whoever they want on it and not have to check with anybody. I I think it was just something like that. We just kind of came to an impasse and, you know, I think I was upset and they were upset. And I think I just told them, look, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, 
And that was shortly after the time of underdogs or maybe even while they were going through the process of that. I just remember like there was kind of just all this kind of like dysfunction around the whole like kind of like the band and, and the recording and all this stuff. But in the end, we were like psyched, you know, that we like finally got it all together. We got it recorded. And um, yeah, I mean, and that record, like it seemed like it, the band was still doing really well. Like people were psyched on the record and everything. Um, I wasn't happy with it because of the recording um, just didn't hit at all. Um, it was like a pretty thin sound recording. Um, and that's not to point any fingers at anybody. Um, everybody who worked on that record is like very talented. And um, I'm sure everybody did the best job that they could have, including myself. But, um, you know, I think everybody was kind of let down by the recording on that one. But as far as the material on it, um, it probably could have been three songs shorter. Um, I wish we had just done 10 songs as opposed to, I think there's like 13 or 14 songs on it. Um, but there are some really, really, really good terror songs on that. Um, particularly the title track, um, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut's a song that I don't think has even ever left the um, set list since that record came out. And they always, I'm pretty sure it's like one of the last two or three songs they play of the night every, at every show. Um, so that's a testament to, you know, how important that tune is to their catalog. Uh, you got Out of My Face, Not This Time. Um, I'm not sure what other, like, uh, Spit My Rage. That was a big tune for them for a while. Um, you know, that was, I, it's a pretty good record. You know, when, when I'm sitting here, like, naming out those songs and saying them out loud, it is it is a good record. I just think, um, as a guy who was involved in it, I I, I believe I see how 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 much better it probably could have been. I think we probably said, all right, if Todd's not going to be there, we got to find a, a brand name, top notch, hardcore guitarist. Well, you found him. I probably, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think we, re, I sure. I mean, Frank's one of my oldest best friends. Do you want to hear about Frank's first show in terror? I do. Very first show in terror is in Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada. We terror, Hatebreed asked us to do a tour. We say yes. We already have a Jap- Japanese tour for the first week or something. So Ringworm, which Frank is in, does the first week of the tour. We show up in Ottawa. Frank gets in the terror van, and we do the rest of the tour. We, I want to say we probably flew into Boston and dri- drove to Ottawa, maybe. I don't know. So he's going to ride in the Hatebreed bus to Ottawa. We're driving to Ottawa without Frank. This is his first show. And I want to say he's never even jammed with us. We've never played together. Jamie calls me. Fucking Jossa. Hey, dude. Is Frank with you? I'm like, stop. Stop (laughs) fucking with me. This isn't funny. He's like, dude, I'm serious. Is is Frank? Dude, have you talked? I'm like, stop. He's like, dude, I'm being serious. Frank is not with us. He didn't show up the bus call. We waited. We had to leave. I'm like, I'm still thinking like, you're just fucking with me. This, this isn't true. I get a call, a random phone call from a Canadian number. And it's Frank. Like, dude, I fucked up. I went out. I partied too hard. I'm still in Montreal. I'm going to miss the show. I'm like, motherfucker. I start calling random friends in Montreal. He rides 
with some random, I don't remember who, like someone from the Death for Every Sin or somebody, drives him to the show. He gets there like an hour before we played. He's never, ever played terror songs. I think like him and Doug jam in the fucking backstage and we get up on stage and play. That's literally Frank's first show with terror. <laughs> and that sets off the most alcoholic, insane couple of years about now. Nah, it doesn't. That sets off the insanity in my life. The band's in a good place and crowd wise. And we're getting tons of tours and everything's good. I think that little bit of trust kill hate is creeping in and you know any band that's doing really good eventually people are going to start to find a way to try to knock them down uh this also starts the strong strong partying of the band which over many years was is one of my biggest regrets um but with getting frank in the band a lot of hard drinking started and i'm not blaming that on him he he's who he is we wanted him and he never forced anyone to do anything, but it just brought way more of a party vibe, which means some shows me and Frank are way too drunk to play and, and have a good show, which is never a wonderful thing. I don't remember seeing any negative reviews or anything like that. I think it, it, it hit pretty hard. Yes. It's like they did it again. Holy fuck. I believe so. And I, I think this is a time to also, Say we were working were Europe really hard and as good as we were doing in the US, we were doing better in Europe. We were really growing and, and opportunities were really coming to us in Europe. And also, you know, we're going to we're going to Australia. I think you know, honestly, I think on Lowest and Low we went to Australia and Japan and so we're doing bucket list things, crossing these things off like I, things I always wanted to do. Are you headlining tours now? Headlining smaller tours like ourselves with, with opening bands, but also doing big, bigger packages tours and, and like persistent festival tours where you're playing to like, you know, Europe's like a, a different world. You know, we go over there now in the summer and we'll, we'll, we'll play club shows during the week or, and like, you know, our own terror shows are like 300 people, 500 people in a bigger city. And then, you know, we'll, we'll pair up with, you know, sick of it all and play to like 700 people. And then on the weekends, we'll play a festival with a lot of metal bands and play to 20,000 people. So like that's our first, and maybe it wasn't there yet, but that's our first taste of that. And, and there's such a scene over there for sick of it all, Madball, agnostic front. And we just get put into the middle of that. So we're able to play with these bands that are very influential to us and, and musically very similar where we can just, go in there and play for their fan bases and and most of the people are like holy shit this is this is the new band i've been waiting for yeah and, and again how, do, how does that feel to you do you feel validated by it i mean i, I think i'm a pretty humble person but i'm, I'm sure somewhere in there i'm like there's the shit <laughs> i yeah. think somewhere in there like <laughs> well i mean here you are you, you've you've done your second lp which already is like only the best bands even get two lps out in hardcore you know, and then, you know, and you're, you've been constantly touring now for years. And like you said, you're sliding right in with all these, like the greatest of the great legacy acts and fitting right in. It's got to feel amazing. It did. And, and you're meeting a lot of people that you grew up staring at their records and finding out that most of them are very down to earth and very cool. And, and, 
and you're just doing the tours and playing and, and it's just exactly what I always wanted. You know, there's off days, there's still shitty shows here and there. There's still like you, you twist your ankle on stage and you know, for the next two weeks, the shows are going to be a bum out and you're, but you're just doing money. There's, there's really no money. We're opening for everybody. We're just getting by on money, but uh, you know, you're just, you're living out that, that, dream that you've seen all the bands before you do and then the the third one is the most is is very interesting too because now you don't have ton and so how do you when do you start attacking like thinking that you're gonna write and and what is you know obviously you, you guys never stop touring so you're touring and touring and who starts kicking out riff ideas like do you decide that you're gonna pick up the mantle and start writing or are you working with carl or are you working with doug or how, how does the song process like start transferring over to um, you? Yeah, it was a, a strange thing because it was like I definitely didn't feel like that was going to be my role at all. Um, we had like we had like the way we had Carl and Doug in the band we were both um, they were in that band First Blood and they were so they were like dudes that were capable of writing stuff. Um, and at this point, um, Frank. Uh, Frank Novinick joined the band. He re- he replaced Todd when when Todd finally stopped touring. So we're like, all right, we got this dude from fucking Clevo that's like written all this insane shit. Like, you know, he he'll be able to write some stuff. And uh, we just like when we started thinking about doing another record, it was like nobody was like doing anything. Like it was like, hey, can you you know you think you guys can like write some songs and like nobody nobody was writing shit like it was just like nothing like nothing it was just like radio silence like everybody like frank was just like partying (laughs) his ass off like i don't think carl was like super invested like in the band like at this point i think he was probably like planning his exit already like so i I just i don't think people were like really invested totally like invested in the band and obviously me and scott were um so like yeah I think it, like I just I just thought like I don't know maybe I could write maybe I could write some shit like I'll try writing some stuff and see if Scott likes it you know and like literally like I would just like mm-hmm. I just remember like sitting down and just literally just trying to like think like all right what what would Todd do like how does you know how like how does Todd do his thing and and at this point, like, I'd kind of, like, I, I played guitar, like, decently. Definitely not, I'm not a good guitar player at all, but I I kind of, like, learning tear songs and kind of watching, like, Todd play, I'd kind of, like, learned a lot of his, like, kind of chord progressions or, like, if he's, if he's like, mm-hmm. if he's, like, r- writing a song in this key, like, these are the notes. Like, he might only play these four notes or these three notes he might totally stay in this like chord progression kind of thing so i'd kind of like already like kind of like studied like how kind of todd was doing his thing so i would kind of just trying to like literally like emulate you know like something like todd would do and um and i think just yeah just kind of like trying to just like come up with something that um i don't know it was just like 
it was definitely a thing like i'm just gonna try to write a bunch of shit i don't know like which direction i'm just whatever i i'm like listening to if it's like ripping off some this leeway song or ripping off this biohazard song or whatever i'm just gonna like listen to all these records write some stuff and i wrote like maybe four or five songs and i recorded the songs by myself um at 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 my house and like showed them to scott and was kind of like i like nobody's doing shit like i wrote these songs kind of thing and he was like and he was psyched he was like he's like oh this is awesome he's like i like these like i like these songs so yeah i mean so at that point i was just like all right i'm just gonna go for it then so i just started just writing just tons and tons of shit i think we had so we have frank and doug in the band and i think we have carl in the band at this time um who are all songwriters you know like first blood's going with uh carl and and uh doug and obviously frank has a legacy of awesome music and um you know i think we bet in the back of our minds we're like we'll be okay and uh i don't i don't ever remember todd or excuse me uh doug or carl ever writing anything presenting anything to us so maybe they didn't care didn't want to were intimidated i don't know i do remember frank wrote two songs for terror and they were amazing, but they weren't terror. They were like ringworm songs. Mm. And, uh, I remember listening to him and being like, these are so good, but this doesn't feel like terror. And I don't know if we're ready to go here. And I, I, I think I remember Nick just hitting me up and saying, Hey, I wrote two songs. I think you'll really like them. I think this is what we need. And he gave me a burnt CD and I remember, I remember, you know, we're flying so much and I remember listening to him on the plane and in my head, I got this big smile on my face because they were, they were right. They were right there. They were like crow mags. They were a little more crossover than Todd, Mm -hmm. but they had the same intensity and bounce to them. And, uh, I you know, Nick, Nick is really coming to his own as a songwriter, but I think at this time he's probably finding his footing. So I'm not going to say they're exactly Todd level, but they were there to a point where I took a deep breath and said, we're going to be okay. Like if Nick can keep this up with putting my ideas into them and everyone else in the band has, you know, Carl's an amazing musician. Frank's great. Fucking Doug is tight as shit. Our live show is still on point we're going to be okay. And that's what happened. I think Nick wrote that whole record. Do you have any input? Like, are you singing him riffs or anything or is it just Nick banging everything out? Uh, I think always and still to this point, I'll, I'll, I'll hear a song, whether it's uh, a hardcore song or any, and I'll, I'll, if I hear something, you know, now I'll make a voice. No, like, yo, I just heard the song. Listen to this part of it. Probably then it was an email. Listen to a hundred, uh, one minute and 10 seconds of this song. This part's fucking awesome. Rip this off. And I know songwriters, when you tell them rip this off, they, they'll take the idea, but make it their own. Right. Um, <clears throat> this part's intense. Hey, I just listened to the Conviction 7-inch. That's the intensity you need. So I'm always putting feedback in. 
uh, I think something that I'll do a lot with Tara songs always are like, I'll hear the song and I'll be like, this song part's great. This part's not great. This part goes too long. Um, the, the last riff is fucking awesome, but it come, it does the transition into it. Isn't crazy. So let's ring out and let's bring it in with vocals or this part should drop out and it should be all guitar. So everything for me is getting the crowd to move. Yeah. So everything for me is like, okay, this is a good song, but it's one of those songs where the crowd's just going to stare at you and bob your head and be like, okay, that was a filler song. So everything for me is like highs and lows and, and just making sure everything attacks. That's you, all That's all I think about. Yeah, and you, you picture things through the lens of like the stage and how people are reacting to it sonically. Yes, yes. Yeah. I don't think about, uh, oh, this is a cool musical song. So that, that's the real balance of Tara now, like, Nick and Jordan and now Chris actually writing stuff and me as those guys are more musical than me and me uh, chiseling away at it to break it down into a more uh, intense version of what they first had. Scott would come over and we, and we would like write riffs together. Like he would like, he would like, Oh, kind of play it like this. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I'm just like, you know, it's totally, total strange. Like I'm like playing guitar, trying to write terror songs. I'm like, I'm like, this is fucking weird. And you know, like at the same point, like I was just thinking, I was just like, we, it's like people at this point, like people had already kind of just like loved Todd's like songs. And we're just like, definitely put Todd on like a podium, like a, they just, you know, at this point, it was like definitely like, all right, well, they're not in my head. At least I'm thinking I'm like people are already thinking, oh, they're not going to be able to like continue as a band like Todd left the band. You know, it's like they're not going to be able to like keep going. So I was just like, we got to make this. It's got to be so good. Like we have to like try to like live up to, you know, you know, the band and kind of just prove to people that we could like still we could still write a record and we could still do this band you know we go up to zeus's in mass massachusetts um at the time a lot of bands were going there he's doing like the hate breed records shadow a, a lot of the north all that excuse me northwest stuff and or northeast stuff excuse me so um it's really cool he's got a house connect uh next door to the studio so we're living in this little house he's obviously going to get the sound he's putting out really polished really heavy records he was in push button warfare so you can say to him yo the leeway part we wanted like this so he gets every reference it's a it's a scary experience because there's no todd and it's a new chapter of terror it's a very comfortable experience i believe this is the record where Carl had left the band, but he said he would play on it. And we asked him to play all stringed instruments mm. because, um, he's just like that musical G he's like the dude that doesn't play piano, but he can sit in front of the piano and you say, Oh, play this song. He's just like, do 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 do. You're like, fuck. Sure. He's just like one of those musicians. So he's playing every string. He's not in the band. We, do the record. I really like it. I, I, I still really like the record. Great record. I love the, uh, the art. Like I was just so 
frustrated, I just said, I want something that's kind of like Chromex best wishes. And I was scouring the internet and I found that cover photo and, um, it was by an artist and, uh, I think his name is like Peter Paul Rubin or something like that, an old painter. And I just found all these paintings from him and, uh, Busky did an amazing job with the layout. So we recorded at, um, in Massachusetts with that dude Zeus. Um, and he had like done like hate breed records and he had done, I think just recently, right before that, he had done like that, that mad ball record, the legacy. It was like their first album after hold it down. I think he was doing that. He was doing a lot of records that just sounded really like pro really clean and everything. And, um, yeah, it costs a lot of money. I think we, I think we paid him like $25,000 or something like that. (laughs) He had like a, like a house next to the studio that you could just stay in. So we like had this whole house and like, um, yeah, it was like real sick recording setup. Um, Carl had already left the band at this point, um, but we we convinced him or we asked him if he could play on the record um, because he had learned all the songs that I had written um, and he he had helped me with demos. So we flew him out. He wasn't in the band anymore, but we flew him out and he played like ninety five percent of all the guitars and the bass on that record. We had Eddie Leeway sing on the record. We drove Leeway like was playing like a couple shows at CBGB's with Bad Brains um, one of the weekends when we were recording, and we, me and Scott, drove to New York and saw them play, and they were doing like only Desperate Measures and Born to Expire songs with the Desperate Measures lineup, mm-hmm. so that was sick. And then we drove Eddie like back to Massachusetts for like the night and then like had him record like the next day. And, um, I just remember that was like, we had him in like the vocal booth thing and we were like telling Zeus, Mm -hmm. we're like, we're like Zeus, like try to get him to do a bow. Like, like (laughs) just like have him do like a bow, like right on like the snare hit kind of thing. And we were all nervous about asking yeah. him, and like Zeus was like, "All right, all right, all right." He was like, um, "Eddie, could you can you do like a bow, like on the snare hit?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do a bow. I don't give a shit. I'll do a bow." And we were just like, "Hell yeah!" We got to talk about the goat line on uh, all, <laughs> on, on always the hard way, right? You know what it is, Scott? What is it? I swing no, the hammer. No, no, what is it? I, I swing the hammer oh. of inner strength. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a good one. I don't know where that came from, to be honest. Well, it came from the it. fucking soul. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't lift that from it. A lot of things, a lot of terror lyrics. I'll be watching a movie or uh, listening to a podcast now or uh, something, and I'll hear someone say a phrase, and I'm like, "Oh, that's fucking cool!" And I put it in my little phone notes. So then, when I sit down to write lyrics, when I get stuck on a line, I'll go to the cool phrase bank and pull one of them out. So that's a lot. A lot now, like I. I said now it's harder because sometimes you get stuck and you you have used every word and phrase twice and you can't do it a third time. So um, yeah, I, I, that that one just came to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we like we're really proud of it and we were like we were psyched on how it came out. 
like we we thought it sounded really good like this we were so unhappy with the the mix on the one with underdogs that like this mix like it just like we felt like it blew the other record out of the way you know just like just totally like sounded so good um and yeah i mean we're super psyched i remember even just like getting back and playing it for todd and like we just like sat there and i feel like we listened to the the whole thing like start to finish and he was just like he's like good job man it's like he's like you killed it this is awesome he's like this is better than the last record something said something like that and i just felt like all right cool like i like did the band justice like i didn't totally like ruin the band by putting out a shitty record like you know after the the first the first stuff that we were so proud of oh i thought it was killer um you know i mentioned earlier that scott and i and nick we had a little bit of differences and i stopped working with Terror. but by the time that record had come out we were back on friendlier terms and scott actually gave me a burnt disc of it like months before it had come out he's like hey check this out and so i checked it out and it was great um, I was not surprised that they were going to make a good record because um, I, 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 before that I have heard demos that they were working on and I was like, ah, you know, they're going to be just fine. Um, they were good demos. Um, but I got the record and honestly, I think there's, you know, some of Terror's best songs are on that record. Um, I like uh, Strike You Down. I like Survival Comes Crashing Through. I like, and then I like one other song on that record. It's the, um, it's towards the end of record, uh, test my convictions. I think that's a great song. Um, and every song on that record's pretty good. And, uh, they did it. They did a great job. I remember liking that record and thinking it was pretty good. This is kind of at the time when we lose some of our steam though. We're probably touring so much like you're getting to that point where you're like, I don't want to be on tour so much. I don't, but we're still too scared to say no to tours. We're getting offered everything. We got like a big time, powerful booking agent. We got a manager. We got all that stuff. So everyone's keeping us on the road, but we're probably starting to get sick of each other. We're getting sick of touring. Uh, The partying is super intense. And it's just that point where you first start to think like, how much longer are we going to do this? Are we the, as good as we used to be? Yeah, it was definitely like um, a strange time. And it was kind of also like there was these eras in the band where like the like the hype had definitely kind of started to like die down a little bit for the band, I think, also. It went from, you know, being that kind of newer bands and people were like super psyched and coming to all the shows. And then we started to kind of like not have good shows and playing a lot of shitty shows and and uh so yeah i don't know it was it was definitely like kind of becoming like a kind of weird era in the band i think we were just like touring so much that like people like you know like somebody in fucking kansas city had already seen us like five times that year or something like that to where it was like i think we were burning everybody out like just like Oh, we've already seen terror, like, you know, like a million fucking times. So yeah, I don't know. It was just like, um, I just kind of definitely like felt like there was like this kind of like, like a, a progression kind of all going up to one with the underdogs. And then it like afterwards, it kind of just started 
to decline in a way. So I think there was, yeah, like a lot of like just pressure to like just do do a record that kind of like sh- showed people that like we could still do it kind of thing. I, I do think we got to double thank Todd because he like laid the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got to say there, there had to be conversations like, you know, if we don't come with some shit, people, everyone's going to say they can't do it without Todd. So Todd's presence without even being there of making us step our game up had to be a push. Like, and it had to fuel me. Like there's going to be no throwaway songs. Everything's got to be hard hitting. Everything's got to be on point. I really think we, we had something to prove with losing him and knowing that everyone's going to judge this thing as without Todd. Let's see if they can do it. I, I, I do I th- do think, too, we took it, like, really in a... There's a lot of that double picking and, like, leeway crossover stuff. And I may be out of line here and giving us too much credit. I'm not sure, but I don't know if there was too many bands really doing that. And then, you know, in my head after that, Bitter End came and did a lot of that stuff, and a lot of bands started doing that. I don't know if, we're, if I'm giving us too much credit, but I think thinking, like, are we doing too much metal picking here is this going to metal but there, there had to be in our head too like um we're getting a lot of tours with like a lot of outside the box bands at this time like we're, we're really in that world like we did the the sounds of underground tour um with like guar and chimera and shadow fall we got a shadow fall tour so they're definitely and in, in, in hatebreed and you see how big hatebreed is and everybody's telling us you're the next hate breed, you're the next hate breed, you're the next hate breed. So there's gotta be this, okay, uh, we maybe let's feed them a little more metal. Let's get into that. And or maybe maybe that was uh, more a thought on the next record. But somewhere in these next two records that was kind of in our heads a little bit, I would think. I think we had alienated some people where we're in the where a lot of people are, are like think we're fence walking as a hardcore band but playing with all these other things or maybe we're trying to gain new fans too much like that there was definitely and i think they had a point and i think up till keepers of the faith we were kind of uh, maybe somewhat unsure of which road we wanted to take did we want to pursue being a band that got to this next level or did we didn't but we were always so into hardcore and supporting, you know, we would take anytime we saw a new band that we liked, we'd take them on tour, we'd take them to Europe. And, you know, it was kind of, I don't know. It, it wasn't like we had these big conversations, like we're going to take over the world or we're only going to tour with these types of bands. But I could see from a outside perspective, it was like, what are these guys doing? Like, what, what are they? Oh, there's fucking terror. They say there's a show about the hardcore scene. Why are they playing for $35 with this metal band with a barricade? We always tried. I mean, we always absolutely 100% were a hardcore band. But I think when you open up those other, uh, open up those other lanes, you subject yourself to be criticized. Yeah. Whether it's out of real constructive criticism or you didn't take someone's band on tour, so they want to find a way to shit talk you. This is this is shitty, and it's now water under the bridge. But um, 
So we're, we're, we're recording always the hard way. We take band photos for always the hard way. I'm wearing a hate breed shirt. I remember in the band photos. And after the tour, we did a, after the recording, we did a tour to get home with ringworm. So we're riding back to California. <clears throat> and I remember last show of that little thing. And then we're going to get a break. I, I, I imagine uh, we play the showcase theater. And it's so weird because Martine came to me and said, I heard Frank quit terror. And I was like, what? And I, I, I think my head probably started spinning and blah, 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 blah. And I remember me and him went out back and he's just like, dude, I got asked to be in hate breed. I'm in hate breed now. And I felt so, I guess, betrayed. And I think I, we, I yelled at him and like tears were coming down my face. And I was like, you fucking sold us out. And I don't know what I said. I was really, I felt really slighted. And now in retrospect, I, I understand it. Like he got asked to be, he got asked to have an amazing opportunity. And although I think if I was in his position, I wouldn't have, if, if, if Hatebreed needed a singer, I don't think I would have left terror because it meant so much to me, but maybe it didn't mean the same to him. I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I, me, again, he's one of my best friends. I remember I wrote Jamie and said some shit to him and just like, I don't know what I said, but, um, yeah, I was bitter and pissed and strangely enough, Martine. And I think, uh, you know, maybe it's karma because, you know, he was in ringworm and like we did kind of did that to ringworm. So, uh, maybe it was time, time for, to get some payback, but, um, we got Martine in the band to replace him. And I remember I, w I was so slighted that Martine was like, dude, I want not the same night, but he was like, I really want to be in terror. And I was like, he was in Donnie Brook, who's probably our best friends at the time. Dre's one of my best friends. I remember I was like, I got to ask your brother. And I, I was like, Hey, Martine wants to be in terror. I'm not fucking your band up. It's if you tell me you don't want this to happen, he's like, I, ab I absolutely want it to happen. So we got Martine in the band we got Busky, as I said, um, uh, uh, Carl had quit, but played on always the hard way. We got Busky in the band again. Like that's a great lineup. Martin Busky, Doug, me and Nick, and, uh, lots of touring getting Martin in the band, Busky in the band. They're both graphic designer people. <laughs> Martin is very level headed. Busky's like me, very hot headed and, and can freak out at anything. But Martin, very level headed both great players, Martin. I keep going to Martin because he's still in the band, but uh, you know, I don't want to sell Busky short. Martin's a great guitarist, great live, never fucks up, is always on point, great at doing backups. He was one of the additions we needed to get this band to continue for the next 12 years, whatever we're at. I guess we were like trying to, to do something a little different. Um, we were touring with a lot of like, metal bands at the time i would like like in that era i mean we played with some weird ass fucking bands this is a, when a lot of those bands like a and we're doing some tours like that very hard partying days a lot of drinking and i i think that's why the damn the shame is my least favorite record and it's not because of the songs the recording came out great i like the songs but i was just in a place where i was just 
on tour for so long. I was just over it. And I just phoned in the lyrics. I was writing the lyrics like they'd record the song, give it to me. I'd have 24 hours to write the lyrics. And if I didn't have anything, I would just like, first rhymes with cursed. So let's make a line out of that. Like I just phoned in the lyrics and just not my favorite time of terror. My least favorite time of terror. We'll go that far. This is also when we signed to Century Media. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was four fucking records. So that was like the next, this is the start of a 10 year contract, which in Europe was amazing. And the US, like a band like us on Century Media, luckily we were smart enough to put in our contract that we can always put the vinyl out on a label of our choice. So we're doing all the label, we're doing the vinyl on Reaper. We're doing, they, they push us a little in the U S and like the bigger metal stores and mall stores. Um, and in Europe, Century Media is really good to us. So label wise, we're good. They have some money for videos. They have some money. So that way we're good. Um, I just feel like the morale of the band was down and we've been touring too much. And me and Busky are both hotheads. And there's just like arguments or even if it's not an inner band thing, we're breaking shit and having freak outs and just just too much shit, too much touring that, that fire I talked about earlier where I'm so psyched to rewrite the lyrics. I'm putting it off for like till the very last minute, like I said, and it's just too much. Like, there's this like industry standard. You have to put out a record every two years. Who the fuck says that? Right. But we're like following it. And, and we're just, it's just like too much. We're not, the, no one needs another, no one needs the fourth terror album right now. Let them wait. Let us wait. But just, you gotta do, you need a new record for the touring cycle, which is just bullshit. It's not true. And, and we're just following it. And at the same time, but I, I will say this. Things are bad, and maybe in the U.S. We're, we're making some decisions I don't love now, and there's some bad things. But in Europe, it, it was always just growing and growing and growing. And now we can headline a bus on a tour. We can headline a tour on a, a tour bus, take any bands we want, and have the best time of our life. So over there in Europe, it's great. And we're making money. That's definitely how we all survive and make money in Europe was great to us and maybe sometimes over here we're doing some stuff that i wish we didn't so we're like kind of doing all these like metal tours i'm not gonna say like those those bands influence like the records or anything but like i don't know maybe it's hard to say but like maybe we felt like we like you know maybe wanted to do something that like like kind of did maybe some of those fan like people that were fans of those bands like might be like more into i don't know like i think part of it also was like um like i had had like a laptop and it was like the first time where you could like write songs on your computer like recording demos like using like fake drums like on your computer and it was like you start to like experiment more when you're like have a like, Oh, I could do all these things. I don't have to like, you know, like before it was like every time you wrote a song, like you would have to like get in the studio and set up microphones and play it. And then like, you couldn't like edit it or anything like now it's like, Oh, I have my fucking laptop. I could edit this, the drums and like change this around, add all these extra guitars. So I think a little bit 
was that like oh like we could experiment with like kind of different stuff so we just like we're trying different things we should talk about when you were talking about carl leaving the band um you got busky in the band and he was actually in for a a pretty long stretch true and so yep yeah i would i would say that he probably influenced this record a lot like he 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 turned me turned me on a lot of different um bands uh so and he and he's kind of like he's into like really like kind of like hard heavy stuff so like he so he he showed me a lot of bands like he got me i would say he really got me into like crowbar at this time like he's like a huge crowbar fan so i want to say like i I was like listening a lot of like crowbar really like kind of like heavier stuff um so that was i would say like busky was definitely like pretty key and like um influencing influencing this record um because he yeah he he brought he definitely brought like some of that stuff into it and um yeah it was the first record that he that he played on and then also you get martin yeah yeah so martin had joined the band recently and and martin is like such like a machine like guitar player like he just like plays so tight and um he so he played all the guitars on on this record um so that was like super cool to have somebody that was like martin was so like he was psyched super psyched to be in the band just like really gung-ho about being in the band so he just like learned all the material and just like you know just like played all these songs like really well on the recording um yeah i mean i would say that was like yeah yeah kind of like I mean, Martin, obviously Martin has been in the band now for a long time, 13 years, maybe longer, something like that. So having him come into the band and be so psyched about being in the band, that was like definitely a huge, a huge thing. Yeah. And did did you handle all the songwriting on this record as well? Or did Busky and Martin help at all? No. Or did, I mean, obviously like anytime you're in a band, I think that, even people that don't write stuff, you have to give them credit if they're involved. Like it does go through their filter, right? Um, like if someone, you know, if if you wrote something, they would be able to be like, "Dude, that sucks," right? So, um, or or this, not this one? Or not in your I would in your machine. I would say like maybe always the hard way. There was like definitely that. Like everybody kind of like had their two cents on like, oh, try it like that, or like add this thing on there. Mm-hmm. Like there was some of that. This one was like not like that i was like because i wrote like all these songs on my computer and it was like me and scott just kind of like built the is fucking it's kind of whack actually thinking about it but it's like we just like wrote this record on my fucking laptop and like me and me and scott just kind of like you know i demoed his vocals on the on the demos that i had fucking recorded on the laptop and it's like we had the record kind of like already set almost like pretty close to what it was going to be recorded like so it was like at that point it was like i mean this is i mean think about it it's pretty fucking whack like the first time we ever played the songs was like in the studio we never jammed like in a rehearsal place like teaching martin the songs like none of that it was like we wrote it on our fucking computer went into the studio martin i'd get like martin had all the songs he had learned everything from listening 
um, to the songs, but it was like the first time I like we ever played the songs was like in the studio playing, you know, the first time I played on drums, first time Martine was like playing it like with me was like in the studio. So it was like definitely like a strange, like, you know, sign of the times, I guess. Like that was like kind of like the beginning of people like, you know, when people started writing a lot, like on their own, like on their computers and stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting the way that like technology kind of assists like how things evolve. I mean, like you said right there, like if if you couldn't do that on your laptop, you could have never written the record this way. You would have had something completely different. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, it was like a strange kind of thing that influenced the record for sure. So where do you go in and record this record? Uh, that was at Zeus also. I just, I just remember it was like, it was in the dead of winter. Like it was like fucking, you know, this is like Western Massachusetts in the middle of winter, like fucking snow and ice, like everywhere, just fucking cold as shit. Um, and I don't know, it was like definitely like a strange time in the band too, where like, we were like, it was like, we were touring so much. I want to say we were like, we, we did a tour to get out to the East coast recorded and then did a tour on the way back. There was a lot of times in that, in that, um, those years where Scott definitely came to me and was like, do we still want to do this band? Like, is this like, you know, like all these people are like coming in and out of the band. Like, do we still want to do this? I feel like Nick's always my go-to and I still do it now. Like I'll always go to Nick and be like, are you still feeling this? Are we going to, you know, he's always just like, I want to do this forever. Even, even now, I think I recently, Oh, the, the last tour we did, we, we played the second last show was in Cleveland and it was, amazing it was like a perfect terror set and i just looked at nick after i was like dude that was so amazing i can't believe we still do this i i i just want to keep it it's just like so nick has like you know he's engaged and is getting married this year and stuff like that so those things get in your head like you know is he still gonna want to be doing this and i i think i wanted validation he's just like i want to do this forever until we can't do it any longer so i think nick's always my go-to factor because he's so level-headed and he's seen everything, like even the nights where I don't remember because I was a drunk idiot. He's seen everything. He knows everything. He remembers everything. So he has a complete calculation of terror from day one till now and the times we're talking about in the middle. I think I always just go to him and, and, and feel him out. And he's, I mean, there's those thoughts like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm miserable. I don't want to be in the van. Why the fuck are we on tour with this band we don't like? Why are we playing with this barricade? the things that all come up or you, you hear someone talk shit about you. Like, why, why do I, why do I put my life into this and to just have this thrown back in my face? These people don't appreciate, they don't care. They would never understand. I got a kid half my age telling me my, the band I put my whole life into is fucking shitty. Like these things start to they get in your head at some point, but I've, I've never had this thing where I wrote an email to the uh, group email, like, guys, I'm thinking about quitting. Uh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, I've had those thoughts, but it never came out to the point where I, I put it out to everybody. How do you feel about this record when you have it in your hand or you listen to the mix? I think we were like really excited about it. I remember like 
Scott, I remember Scott for a long time saying like he loved the record. Like he's like, this is our best record. He was so psyched on it. I don't know if I like like always like shared like that same kind of feeling. I felt like we did this really cool thing. Like, I mean, I I felt I guess I felt proud proud of it because I like you know like wrote another full album, which is really hard to do. As um, you know, it's like to write write that you know that many songs and kind of form an album. It's like it's it's a lot of work and then it's like it takes a lot of time and it's like every- and you're doing it on a crunch timeline too that's something to think about is because like you're full-time touring yeah and you're trying to write a record and you're trying to have one come out like every two years yeah we were touring like so much during this time i mean like there was like there was a few years where i counted like we played over 300 shows in a year it was like we were literally like on tour all the time. It was like, you know, the kind of thing where like, oh, here's a, a month and a half tour and then like a two month tour. But there's like 10 days in between. Like we should book some shows to get from that tour to the other tour. Like it was like nonstop. Like we were just like on the road like all the time. So, I mean, then that's probably why we would like wrote the fucking thing like on a laptop, like on tour. Like it was like we weren't even home or or anything during that period it was just like touring so much just gone like all the time how are you feeling about like touring are you getting the burn at all i th- cuz that's so many shows yeah, like I think, what, what's holding what's holding you up i think i think we're all kind of burnt out like a little bit kind of like wondering like what's going to happen with the band people are like partying their asses off like at, i think at this point i was the only like when the band there was like a good like few years where i think everybody in the band was straight edge except for scott so it was like definitely not partying going on and then at this point it was like four partiers and me and people yeah. were fucking like raging like it was like I don't know. We were doing tours that were like sponsored by fucking Jägermeister and shit. And the people were just like going insane, like just like fucking partying their asses off. So I don't know. It was like almost like people were more concerned about like partying and like being on tour and wiling the fuck out than like caring about the band and what the band was doing. It was almost like the band was like the vehicle that kind of like, helped people get out on the road and fucking go wild kind of thing. Um, yeah. Is that a, is that a talk that you ever had to have with anyone? Oh, I mean, this is, I mean, so many, there's just like so many times, like, like I said, like conversations Scott and I had, like, do we still want to do this? Like, you know, like, like what, like, what are we doing? Like, you know, like, do we want to continue? Like this person just left the band. This person just left the band. Like, like, do we still want to do this shit? You know? And it's like me and Scott were always just like, yeah, like, fuck it. Let's, let's, you know, like we're down. Like we, we don't want this shit to end. Like, you know, like we're always, me and Scott, we're always just like a hundred percent. Like, let's keep doing it. Let's fucking get, you know, let's get this dude in the band. Like, you know, I th- maybe, you know, maybe he'll just kind of bring some life into the band or whatever. And we just like, always, whenever we had that conversation, we're always just like, 
super optimistic about just like we can do this like you know like we can kind of get through this or whatever we can we can keep it together 